You are listening to Faith City Outreach with Marina Maria, founder of Global Gospel Worship Radio. Marina interviews local pastors and global leaders to share their testimonies and their ministries. Our goal is to help you follow what Jesus taught in Matthew 6:33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, here's our host, Marina Maria. Welcome to Faith City Outreach. This is Marina Maria with today's special guest, Pastor Dobie Weasel from Fort Belknap, Montana, which is a reservation, an Indian reservation. Pastor Dobie and his wife, Jamie, are the founding pastors of Life Church, now Dream City, Omaha. Pastor Dobie has ministered as a pastor and an evangelist, as well as a camp meeting and conference speaker throughout the U.S. and Canada for over 30 years. He is the founder and the president of Life Tribe Ministries. He has a passion and a calling to reach Native North America. Having grown up in an alcoholic home and he himself being set free from a lifestyle of drugs and alcohol, Dobie himself um, knows firsthand about the life-changing power of hope. Thank you so much, Pastor Dobie, for being on Faith City Outreach to share your testimony and to share about Life Tribe, which is a movement to restore hope to the 4 million Native American and First Nations people scattered throughout North America. Thank you. It's good to be here. Pastor Dobie, please briefly share your testimony. I listened to your YouTube video titled Finding God in Our Darkness, where you surrendered your life to Christ. And you said a month later, you literally were in Bible college, and then you were able to travel around the world. Yes, I I grew up, like you said, uh, on Fort Belknap Indian Reservation in North Central Montana. A little reservation located about 35 miles south of the Canadian border. Uh, Mom was an alcoholic, uh, gave away most of her children, gave me to an aunt who was an alcoholic. And uh, so the first time I ever got drunk, I was about five years old. Uh, Then I started drinking fairly regularly when I was about 11 or 12 and quit school in the seventh grade, started selling weed when I was about 13. Um, I I grew up on and off the reservation, Uh, mostly when I was off the reservation, I was in Billings, Montana. And uh, so I was living in Billings at the time, selling weed and got a kilo of weed, went back to the reservation to sell marijuana and uh, went back just at the tail end of a major revival that was hitting my reservation. And all of the young people were either dying in car wrecks or accidents and uh, or uh, giving their lives to Christ. And so uh, basically, long story short, I wound up giving my life to Christ shortly after my 18th birthday. And, um, and a month later, I was in Bible college. I, I hadn't uh, received a GED. I had quit school in the seventh grade. And uh, yet the Bible school accepted me. And uh, so I went for one semester in 1970 or oh, 1980, actually, the spring of 1980. I uh, went uh, one semester of Bible college, got out for the summer, uh, got my GED during the summer, went back to Bible college, and I graduated with a four year degree in 1984 with a Bachelor of Arts degree in Bible and ministry. So I've been in ministry ever since. I, I graduated in 1984. We came, my wife and I came to Gallup, I mean, yeah, Gallup, New Mexico, and we pastored there for seven years. 
Uh, actually, uh, it was nearly eight years. And then we resigned uh, our position there in 1990 and uh, traveled as evangelists for 10 years from 1990 to 1999, actually. And uh, then in 1999, we came to Omaha, Nebraska. And for the last 23 years, we've been here in Omaha. Uh, we pastored a church and then we left and came back a couple of years later and planted a church, which you referred to in the introduction, a church called Life Church, Omaha, which now is Dream City Church. Uh, and my son, John, and his wife, Angel, are now pastoring that church. What advice would you give to others who are experiencing times of darkness? Well, I, I again, I mean, as uh, as you said in your in your introduction, I came to Christ uh, during you know one of those times in my life where uh, all of my friends were were dying. Uh, in fact, I had I had one I had one uh, instance where um, my friends came by my house to pick me up. We were going to go out partying and doing what we what we did. And uh, there were seven of them in the car. They came by my house. Uh, I wasn't home at the time. So they, uh, they went to a nearby uh, community to, to buy some alcohol. And on the way, uh, they were passing a car going up a hill uh, over, a, over a solid line. And uh, a car was coming the opposite direction. And there was a head-on collision and all seven of them were killed. And I should have been, I mean, I would have been part of that had I been home that day. And so, uh, so, so it was a dark time uh, for me, a dark time on a reservation. And, um, and I just, it was one of those things that drew me close to God. It opened up my eyes. And I, I suppose for somebody who's going through a dark time uh, now, ne uh, nearly 42 years later that I've been serving Jesus, uh, I would say Isaiah 41, verse 10, fear not, for I am with you. Don't be afraid, for I am your God. Uh, I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I'll hold you in my mighty right hand. And, and so for somebody that would be going through a crisis, I would say, again, all things work together for the good. And if you'll allow it, um, this will work together for your good and God's glory. And to know that he's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. He is with you. And he's holding you in his, in his hand. Uh, and if you will hear his voice, that voice that uh, Isaiah 4110 uh, says, don't fear, for I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I'll hold you in my mighty right hand. So that, that's what I would encourage them in. That's a beautiful scripture. I please, love it. <laughs> yes. Please share about the movement the Lord has placed in your heart to be involved in, which is called Life Tribe. I read about it on your uh, website, and I know part of it is to restore hope to Native Americans. Well, and, and Marina, you know, you've been on the reservation and you see the hopelessness that exists uh, on the reservation uh, you know, the reservation, I, I, I've described it as, you know, some of our reservation communities are like, like the hood way out in the middle of nowhere, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, mm -hmm. and so hopelessness, when, when, when you when you have uh, the high rates of unemployment that we have on the reservations, I mean, some of our reservations are 80% unemployment. And then you have, you mix it, that in with alcohol, drugs, then you have you know, things that, that, that happen as far as physical abuse, sexual abuse, 
and and you 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 mix that cocktail and you have a, a recipe for hopelessness and a recipe for disaster uh suicide is uh i think native americans uh, are the leading uh ethnic group for suicide uh between the ages of 14 and 18 and in fact i uh, got a call from uh, my former chief of my reservation a couple of oh it's probably been probably been two years ago now he called and he said Doby I don't know if you've heard but uh, we've had a, an epidemic uh, of suicides on our reservation in fact we had I want to say it was 48 attempted suicides in 18 months and uh, and it was it was one attempted suicide for uh, for every 10 days. And uh, of those 48 attempts, there were 23 of them, I believe, that was successful. And so he said, we've tried everything we know to do. Would you come? Would you speak to our, to our council and give us some advice? And so we went in, uh, we, got, we got people praying, and we went in and, and we helped them with their strategic plan. We went into the schools. We did some things there. And... Uh, and, and one of the probably the most powerful thing that we were able to do during that time was to solicit the help of a um, of a Chinese prayer network that boasts 100,000 prayer warriors, uh, 100,000 intercessors. And so uh, from the time we went in uh, and conducted our Life is Sacred seminars in the high school uh, till today, they haven't had one suicide, which, you know, I mean, they were having one attempt every 10 days. They have, from that time until this, they've had only one attempt, and that one wasn't successful. So we thank God for that. There's power in prayer. Um, but, you know, you had, you had asked the question as far as what we're doing. Uh, you know, I've traveled uh, throughout North America uh, over these past 35, 40 years, uh, seeking primarily to reach Native people. Uh, and, and I've been everywhere from... Uh, Alaska to Florida and from Quebec to California uh, spoke on on most all of our reservations. And back in, oh, I want to say it was 1997, I think it was, the U.S. Center for World Missions came out with a statistic that said that of the, back then it was two and a half million Native people uh, in the U.S. and Canada uh, they said less than 3% are born again. And so, you know, as I read that statistic, I, you know, in my heart, I said, well, that's not acceptable. And God, we need to do something to reach that 97%. And so, so uh, I resigned the church that, uh, that, that uh, I was pastoring and we got on the evangelistic field and I preached every place the door, God would open the doors, every youth camp, every family camp, every, you know, church, every uh, seminar, whatever. I mean, I just tried to do everything I could. Well, at the end of whatever it was, 25 years, uh, I checked with them and, and they said, uh, now there are 4 million Native people in the U.S. And uh, of those 4 million, still less than 3% are born again. And so, so when God launched this new ministry, uh, about four years ago, we stepped out of our church and went back into evangelism. Uh, you, you've heard the adage that, you know, if we continue to do what we've always done, we'll always get what we've always had. Mm -hmm. And so I began to pray and say, God, 
you need to show me what I've never done because mm. I want to have, I, I, you know, I want that 97%. I, I love the 3%. Thank you for it. But Lord, we need that 97%. So I, God, show me what I've never done because I've done the church thing and Lord help me. And so he took me to a teaching uh, by a guy named Lance Wall now. I don't know if you've ever heard of Lance, but he's a Canadian uh, teacher, evangelist, uh, apostolic type. And he was teaching on the seven mountains of culture. And, uh, and, and in that teaching, uh, he gave the story of uh, three gentlemen that were meeting one day years ago, a guy by the name of um, Lauren Cunningham of Youth with a Mission, a guy by the name of Bill Bright, uh, who was the head of Campus Crusade for Christ, and a gentleman by the name of Francis Schaefer, I believe it was, with LeBray Fellowship. And so they were meeting for breakfast one day to discuss world evangelism. And as they were meeting, uh, having breakfast that day, as the story goes, Lauren Cunningham reached into his pocket, pulled out a piece of paper, and, uh, oh, no, no, uh, he, was, he was sharing with the other two guys how that God had laid upon his heart this, uh, this, this plan or the strategy to reach the, 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 the uh, to reach the unreached through seven mountains of culture, um, through arts and entertainment, business, education, family, government, media, uh, as well as the church. And uh, as he was explaining this, uh, as, as, as Lance tells it, uh, Bill Bright reached into his pocket. He took out a piece of paper. He unfolded it, slid it across the table. And he said, are you talking about these seven mountains? And, um, and so unbeknownst to these guys, God had given them the same strategy separate uh, from each other. And they knew it was something God was doing. Well, when I heard that story, I said, God, that's, that's what I've never done. I've only tried to reach the unreached through the church mm-hmm. sphere of influence, through that mountain of culture. Uh, but I've never tried to reach them through arts and entertainment or through business or education or some, some of these other avenues, uh, 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 these other bridges that we can you know, use to, to, to build relationship with them and then lead them to Christ. And so that's what we've been doing for the past four years. We've been going into schools. Uh, we, we, we've done an archery program that we go in, we teach kids life skills through archery, uh, because it's historically, it's a, it's a medium uh, that, you know, culturally the native people understand. Uh, we've gone into communities, we've done horse camps with children uh, and, and uh, you know, just, just use that medium as well. And, and arts and entertainment, it consists of, uh, it consists of, you know, music, dance, uh, the printed uh, or the, uh, the spoken word, the, 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 uh, painted art and uh, and movies, entertainment, uh, you know, so, so we're trying to re we're trying to use some of those mediums uh, to reach into native land, because if you go to reservations, especially in the, in the, where we're, where we're at in, in uh, the Dakotas and uh, the, the plain States, many of those, especially the Lakota, um, they're not very open to the gospel. Uh, there's been such a revival of native traditional culture that uh, uh, includes traditional religion. Mm-hmm. And so you go to South Dakota. I have a friend who, uh, who lives on Pine Ridge Reservation, which is the poorest, I mean, it's the poorest 
reservation in the poorest county uh, in America. And, uh, and he said uh, that when he, was his, when he was a young man, and he's my age, he said when he was a young man, they used to have one Sundance a year on the Pine Ridge Reservation. Uh, he says today we have 50 Sundances on the reservation. And so they used to have one a year, now they're having one a week. Uh, and the Sundance is their primary um, uh, connection to, you know, to, to Kongashala or, or whatever deity they, they, they're, they're, they, they call upon. And so, uh, so we're trying to do everything we can to build bridges into the community, into, into communities that really don't want anything to do with the gospel or with Jesus, because, you know, they, 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 they look at it as white man's religion. And so how do you preach the gospel to somebody who doesn't want the gospel and uh, who doesn't want anything to do with your Jesus or your religion or whatever? And, I, and, and so we've tried to build bridges into those communities by, you know, doing some of these um, unorthodox type of outreaches. So that's what we're doing. And, and, and we've also started a, we've also started a, uh, uh, one, one of the things that God's led us into along this journey is um, we're, we're seeking to create disciple-making movements in Native land. Uh, when you look at where God is moving most greatly throughout the world, um, they are places like India, Africa, China, Iran, Cuba. Some of these places today throughout the world are, are, are experiencing major revivals and millions of people are getting saved and hundreds of thousands of house churches are being raised up. And these cultures have three things in common. Number one, they're still oral in their tradition. Mm -hmm. Number two, there's a level of persecution. And number three, they're still very family oriented. And when I saw that, it really reminded me of native land uh, because there's, you know, there's the native people are historically were oral in our, in our tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, we're still very family oriented. And with the, the revival of Indian religion, uh, there's a bit of, uh, there's a lot of pushback and even some persecution um, among Christians, not the kind of persecution you would find in, uh, you know, uh, in, in, in Afghanistan or, or Pakistan uh, or, or Iran with, with ISIS, not, not, not that kind of persecution, but persecution uh, still in, in the sense that um, if you become a Christian, the, the people in your family or the people in your community, they kind of look at you as being less than Indian because now you've mm -hmm. adopted white man's ways. And so, so I looked at that and, and, uh, and being that Jesus, his final command was to go and make disciples of all nations. Um, I, I, think, I think there's an awakening happening within the church today that um, if we're going to, at, at least with me, for me, if we're going to reach the um, millions of native people uh, spread throughout North America, it isn't going to be done as by, by addition. It's going to, it's going to be done by multiplication. Um, because if one can become two and two can become four and four can become eight and 16 and 32 and 64, uh, we can reach people in short order. In fact, uh, now, now the correct pronunciation is Marina, right? Yes. Is it? 
Yes. yes. Marina, Marina, if let, let me just give you an illustration. And I got this illustration out of a book called Born to Reproduce uh, by a guy named Dawson Trotman, who started a ministry called The Navigators about 100 years ago. And, uh, and, and th- this is the primary, the primary uh, disciple-making movement uh, throughout the I'm mean, disciple-making ministry throughout the world. But in that book, which was written in 1955, uh, he gives the illustration and he says, if, if a man can win someone to Christ and disciple them and pour himself into them, and if he could take six months to do it, and I know that this is, you know, ideal, uh, and it's really probably not possible to do it in six months, but let's just, you know, for argument's sake, mm-hmm. let's say, let's say I won you to Christ, I led you to Jesus, and and I taught you how to pray, how to how to study the word, how to share your faith, how to do all the, the things you need to do in order to become a, a, a strong Christian. And then in six months, we said, okay, now let's go find somebody else. And let's, let's, let's win them to Christ. Marina, you win someone to Christ. I'll win someone else to Christ. And we'll disciple them within six months. We'll do it again. So at the end of six months, we have two. At the end of one year, we have four. At the end of 18 months, we have eight. At the end of 24 months, we have 16. At the end of another six months, we have 32. At the end of three years, we have 64. Not too many people, but they're disciples and they're multiplying disciples. Well, if you extrapolate that out, at the end of 16 and a half years, and I'm just going to pause there, at the end of 16 and a half years, Marina, you have 7.5 B-I-L-L-I-O-N. You have seven and a half billion people. We have, in essence, won the world in 16 and a half years, because we have taught people how to multiply. Mm-hmm. And that was, the, that was the, the, the secret sauce that Jesus used with his disciples. And he poured himself into them. Of course, he did it in three and a half years. But it, I think that's something that we've forgotten, you know, because we've gotten really good at preaching sermons, and we've gotten good at you know, uh, building church buildings, and we've gotten good at doing all of this other thing that um, Jesus really didn't even tell us to do. I mean, he said he would build his church, right? So he didn't call us to build churches. He called us to make disciples. And so I think if we would do what we're supposed to do and let him do what he's supposed to do, we would get more traction than what we have what we've gotten so far. So that's the thing right now that's burning in my soul. Um, we go from, from place to place. I was just with Pastor Jackie Holgate, and we did a disciple-making movement seminar in his church. Uh, How did, did that go? Oh, in fact, he, he, he loves it. In fact, if, if you'll talk to him, he's taken that stuff. It's so simple. Uh, the model that, 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 that we've embraced and the model that we teach is so simple uh, he's actually taken it and now he's teaching it. Uh, he, he, he just taught his first seminar, uh, to a group in Farmington, I believe it was this past weekend. So we've been with him twice with his church, taught these disciple making movement seminars, and there are disciple making movements taking place around the world. And, uh, the, 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 the training is so simple that a 10 year old can do it. And that's what I like about it. Because our native people, you know, I, I went to one organization and I said, hey, t- show me how to make disciples because I went to Bible college and, you know, I know how to construct sermons. I know how to, you know, administrate churches and things like that. So, so um, 
I, I, I told him, I said, you know, uh, I, I know how to do all these church things, but, in, but, but, I, but they didn't teach me how to make disciples. And so, uh, so teach me how, how to make disciples. Well, this, this ministry, and I won't share its name, they gave me seven books and they said, hey, take your people through these seven books. And, uh, and, and by the time they finish these seven books, they should be, you know, solid Christians. And, and I just, you know, I looked at them and I didn't say this, but I thought to myself, man, I can't go to Native people and ask them to read seven books. They're not going to read three books, mm-hmm. you know, or two books. Uh, mm-hmm. I need something so simple that I can place it in their hands and they can do it today. And so I uh, found a model that they're using in India, Africa, and all these places around the world. Uh, and and, and it's, uh, it's, it's a very simple model of what they call the discovery Bible study. And it's a model that you teach them how to study the scripture, not with the intent to learn more, but to obey. And as they begin to obey the scripture, they grow. And part of that obedience is to make disciples. And so they begin to make disciples right away of their family members and so on and so forth. So that's what we're doing right now. That's the most exciting thing on my plate is we are um, traveling and, and teaching these disciple making movement seminars to our uh, native churches and our native pastors. Now, do you and, have uh, these on video? I do. I do. Uh, in fact, I would like to, with your permission to have some videos, not necessarily videos, but the audio version of it and put it on my program. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me give you, let me send you a link. Uh, we, we have the video version, uh, on our church website. Uh, I did, I did a training, uh, here for our church about a year ago. And, and they captured it on video and they, they archived it on our website. So I can get you that link. That would be great. And from there, I can, I can record and put it in audio version. But it seems like you're getting a really good response from this um, from the Native American community, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, wherever we go, they love it. But it's it, the, the, the thing is, it's such a foreign concept because... Uh, you know, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, he said, the things you've received of me commit to faithful men who shall in turn be able to train others also. And so in that one verse, we see four generations of believers, right? Mm-hmm. We see Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and others also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there was an expectation in the early church that if you were a disciple, you would make disciples. In fact, you know, we, we fail to realize, I think, that uh, Jesus was a rabbi. Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, they were all Jews, and Jesus was a rabbi, maybe not in the true rabbinical sense of being a pharisaical rabbi, but, you know, when Nicodemus came to him, who was a ruler of the Jews, he came and he said, Rabbi, we know you've come from God, because nobody can do the miracles you do. And then when John came, he said, John and Andrew, I believe it was, they came and they said, Rabbi, where do you live? And Jesus said, come and see. And so Jesus was a rabbi. And uh, as a rabbi called his disciples, uh, there were, there were, they, they would say, come follow me. And so when Jesus said, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. That was the rabbinical call to, to, for the disciples to follow. And there were five expectations of a disciple uh, in those days. A disciple, number one, the first expectation was complete commitment. 
If you're going to follow the rabbi, you need to leave everything and follow him. And that's what James and John and Peter and Andrew did when they left the, 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 the nets and the fish. And, uh, and so, number one, complete commitment. Number two, you were uh, called, to, called on to memorize the rabbi's words. And number three, you were called to uh, understand the rabbi's interpretations. And so, you know, not just memorize the rabbi's words, but, but memorize how the rabbi interpreted that particular portion of scripture. That's why Jesus would say, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you, so on and so forth. And so, uh, and so, so memorize the rabbi's words, understand the rabbi's interpretations, complete commitment. The fourth thing was that you were to, uh, that you were to emulate the rabbi's actions. So when Peter said, Lord, is that you? And he said, yes, it is. He said, if it is you, tell me to come out on the water. Well, we don't understand in the context of discipleship, the disciple was supposed to do everything that the rabbi did. And so if the rabbi walked on water as a true disciple, we ought to be able to walk on water as well. And so, 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 so the, 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 you know, complete commitment, memorize the rabbi's words, understand the rabbi's interpretations, emulate the rabbi's actions. And then the last one was to make disciples of your own. And that is where, you know, we Americans or we as the body of Christ in general, we have failed because we, you know, we, we, we bring people to church and we teach them. And we teach them and we teach them week after week after week, month after month, year after year, hoping that if I can just give them enough information, then hopefully it will catch and they'll grow. And so we have an assumption that if I give them more knowledge, they'll grow in Christ. Whereas in that culture, it wasn't, they weren't teaching for knowledge, they were teaching for obedience. Uh, in, in, in those cultures, if, if the rabbi taught, you were expected to go and do it. If you came back and you hadn't done it, he would teach the same lesson and he would send you out again to do it. Until you do if it. you didn't do it again, he would teach the same lesson until you learned how to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things, one of the characteristics of this disciple making movement strategy is they're teaching for obedience and they're not necessarily teaching for knowledge. They do gain knowledge. But the obedience factor is the, is, is, the, is, is the main litmus test for spiritual growth. Are you living it? And, um, and so they're seeing, again, they're seeing disciples make disciples. And, and many of those disciples aren't even a year or two old in Christ. And they're already beginning to make disciples. And these multiplication movements are becoming just, they're going viral and uh, so anyway, we, I hope to see something like that happen in native land. And if we can see two or three or four of those happen, we can see native land come to Christ in short order and, uh, and, and, and not just come to Christ, but be mature believers, obedient believers. Um, because again, you know, we, you and I both know many people who they've been saved for 20, 30 years but they're living in sin, you know? I mean, how can a pastor who's been pastoring for 20, 30 years fall into adultery or, you know, whatever? Well, they got to the point where they weren't obeying the scripture mm -hmm. in the little things. Mm 
and then eventually I got caught they caught up to him. Right. So well, end, Pastor Doby, um, that has been so interesting. And I'm curious to find out with the few minutes that we have, how long have you been teaching this um, simple strategy that has been very effective? I have only been teaching this for probably two and a half years. So I, I, I'm still growing myself in it. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a very short while. How has uh, the outside population responded um, to this simple strategy of discipleship? Now, when you say the outside population, um, I mean, outside of the Native Americans, like any other, the dominant population, basically. I, th- I, I think, um, I think that there are, there, there, are, there are one of two responses that I've noticed as, as, as we've taught these concepts. Um, the first response is, um, I, I already know how to do church. And I already know what discipleship is about. And so I don't need to learn about discipleship because I know what it's all about. And for that person, and I would have been that person six or seven years ago. If you would have come and shared these strategies with me, I would have said, oh, you know what? I'd have patted you on the head and said, oh, you're, you know, that's nice. And, and you know, God bless you. And hopefully you'll do great. Uh, and then I would have gone back to doing what, I, what I've always done, which is, you know, to prepare for the big Sunday morning service for the y'all come, the attractional model. Um, you know, if we have the best music, the best preaching, the best light show, the best, all of this mm-hmm. stuff, we can grow our church, uh, the best facilities. Uh, and and so, so there's that group of people, and it's not just pastors, it's everybody within that, what we, what I would call the legacy church structure. So and how do then, you confront that challenge? Oh, I don't, I don't know that you do. You just share the principles uh, because, because then there's this other group of people and it may be a small remnant, a small handful that they've looked at the way we've done church and they realize, man, it's not working, you know, because again, we have 3% of native people, 97% are born mm-hmm. are, are lost this is the same statistic that we had back in the day. And uh, so there are, there are some pastors that are, that are frustrated and some people, not just pastors, but people in general who look at that and go, what we're doing isn't working. So do you so, present that, that what you just said um, before you do your training and your seminars um, on discipleship? I, I, do you say that? I present my testimony. Okay. And my testimony is, for me, this was revelation. Uh, we, okay. were in a, we were in a period of 21 days of fasting four years ago, and I was reading Genesis 1, and verse 28 leaped off the page, be fruitful and multiply. And the word multiply leaped off the page, and I started thinking to myself, after 33 years of full-time ministry, how many times have I multiplied myself? After the order of 2 Timothy 2.2, the things you have received of me, commit to faithful men and that. And I could count those true disciples on less than two hands after 33 years. And four of those were my family members. Jackie Holgate was one of those guys. 
And right. I, I just, I, I, I had all kinds of emotions. I mean, I, I was, I was upset. I was repentant. I was, I was chagrined. I was embarrassed. And, and I just said, God, if you'll give me another season, I'd sure like to learn how to do ministry like Jesus did ministry. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I started knocking on all these doors. And then after about two years, I stumbled on across this, this, this simple model of discipleship that's working around the world. And, um, and so when I do the seminars, I start off with my story mm-hmm. that, you know, I was a successful pastor. Uh, I, you know, we, we, we took a church here in Omaha, the first church we pastored, we came and they invited me to come pastor the church. It was 800 people. And, and, and I never dreamed that pastor church of 800 people. I'm just a little native guy from Fort Belknap, Montana, where nobody even knows where, where that's at. And so um, when I came to pastor the church, it was like, wow, Lord, <laughs> I never thought I'd pastor a church like this. Well, that was just the beginning. We, we, that church over a period of eight years grew from 800 people to 2,400 people. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were just, I mean, God was blessing the work. And so, you know, I've done that whole thing and uh, it, it, it just, it, I, I, I don't even know how to say it. I, I, I guess I say, you know, I've been there and done that, and it it, it did not. It, that it's like Joyce Meyer says. She says, "When you find out you're riding a dead horse, have the sense to dismount." Mm-hmm. You know, and and there are some statistics today that tell us that for every person baptized, for every new convert in the United States that's baptized, when you take the total amount of money that we spend on all of our buildings and programs and salaries and all of that stuff, you take that, 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 that number, you divide it by the, num- by the number of baptisms that we have in America, it costs us $1.5 million to baptize one person in America. Wow. Let, let that Never sink. heard of it. Never heard let of it that, that way. Sink in. Yeah. Let that sink in. And uh, and 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 they took the same the same uh, matrix, and they look at these disciple making movements and how much it costs because so much of this ministry in disciple making movements is done in the homes. So they don't need a building. They they don't need salaried pastors. They don't need all of the stuff that we think we need to do ministry. Mm-hmm. And they calculate that to get one person baptized in these disciple-making movements throughout the world, it cost them 66 cents. So, you know, you do the math. Uh, I, I think, you know, if we've, got, if we've got millions of Native people that need to be born again, we're never going to have enough money to reach them all. And um, so we need to find a different way. And I think the different way teachable. Exactly. Exactly. I think the different way is really the old way. It's the original way and God's bringing it around full circle. And I mean, yeah. How did the disciples, (laughs) how did the disciples who had no money, no influence, Mm -hmm. no power, no Mm -hmm. building, how did they change the world? Mm-hmm. Well, they did it the Jesus way. And in mm-hmm. fact, you know, they called them the way 
in the in the New Testament, right? The truth, the life. <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they followed the way and became the way. And now I think we've gotten in the way and we need to get out of the way. <laughs> exactly. And do it God's way. Right. And so, follow his truth. Yeah. 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 Get back to the Bible. I mean, the, the blueprints, the blueprints there. And if yes. we would just follow the blueprint, I think we could see major revival in America and the world again. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's also kind of related to what's going on too. Pastor Doby is our hearts. Where are our hearts? If our hearts are not right, it's going to be so hard for us to be teachable. I agree. And we're not being teachable. Yeah. I I think sometimes we're not teachable because we think we're good. We're we're good enough. You know, I mean, I've got a church. My salary is being paid. Things are going well. People are getting comfortable. Yeah. People are getting saved. So we're good. Um, But I think with a lot of people, there's a divine dissatisfaction that's taking place. And a lot of people like myself, um, it was like, God, there has to be a better way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because the way we've done ministry, it just hasn't worked. And exactly. And so. knowing that, knowing that it hasn't worked, then we obviously need to do something different. Yeah. Right. Well, Not yeah. go through it the same way we've been doing it because we're going to get the same results. That's right. That's right. Right. That's right. Just a, it's a, what they what do they call it? The the definition of insanity. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, they, they say the definition of insanity is that it's it's doing the same thing over and over, yeah. thinking it's going to produce a different exactly. Result, you know? Absolutely, and that goes with everything. It's not just related to to ministry. It goes with right. everything that we're doing that may not have a positive influence, but if we're doing the same thing, we're not going to. It's not going to change. The result's not going to change. But the most important yeah. question, Pastor Doby, is what can we do to help, to be well, part yeah, of this movement? Um, and yeah, what can we do to help? Well, one of the characteristics of these disciple-making movements, as, I, as I've studied them, uh, the number one characteristic of a disciple-making movement is that it is always preceded, it is always preceded with extraordinary prayer. Hmm. And, and so that's what right now we're seeking to do. We're seeking to enlist an army of prayer people who would pray for us, that God would help us to begin to create these disciple-making movements, uh, because it is such a foreign concept. I mean, it's it's a biblical concept, but being that we've done church this way for hundreds of years, uh, it, it it's so foreign to us. None of us was, you know, none, none of us in America were born into this, this uh, model that we see happening throughout the world. We were born into that old wine structure, mm-hmm. you know, that old wine skin. And, uh, and there's nothing wrong with the old wine skin. I mean, when Jesus in Luke chapter five, he taught about the new wine, old wine, new wine skin, old wine skin. At the end, he said, nobody who ever, who's ever drank of the old wine ever thinks that the new wine is better. 
you know, they always think the old wine's better. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so I don't think Jesus was condemning the old wine skin and the old wine. He, you know, he, he said, Hey, there's a place for it, but if we're going to get new wine, we've mm-hmm. got to have new wine skin. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a place for both of these models of ministry. Um, but how do you, you know, how do you introduce it to somebody who has absolutely, you know, no clue because we've only done this for years and that com- that only comes by revelation. <clears throat> right. And we can pray about that. We can pray that um, we be, that we can take this model that's the Jesus way and be open to it because we're so accustomed to the old model. And I know mm-hmm. that we all can become creatures of habit and we're just used to the same way, same way, knowing that there is another way, but yet we want to stick to the same way because we're comfortable with it. And that is Amen. all of us. Pastor Dobie, thank you so much for being on Faith City Outreach. I really want to be a part of uh, the movement. I actually am part of it in my own way, but um, I would like to just discuss further what our radio station can do to be more a part of this um, Life Tribe movement. Please end in a prayer that will basically talk about what we discuss, just praying for us to be um, teachable with new things that are to come that Jesus will bring to us, that the Lord is bringing to us. And whatever else the Holy Spirit may be putting in your heart. Amen. Amen. Well, Lord, we love you. And we thank you that your word says we're two or more agree is touching anything on earth, that it's going to be done in heaven. And so, Father, I thank you for Marina. I thank you, Lord God, for this ministry. I pray, Lord, that you would bless her, bless the ministry, bless this outreach. And Father, uh, as we have talked about your plan, your blueprint, your program for reaching the nations, Lord, you said, go and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And you said you would be with us when we did. So, Father, I pray that you would raise up a generation, raise up a multitude of men and women who would see that it's not about all of the things that we've made it about, but it's about the simple gospel, and it's about simple obedience to your command to go and make disciples. And yet, Lord, we haven't been taught how. So, God, I pray that as we begin to teach one another, as we begin to learn together, how is it that we make disciples? How do we do ministry like Jesus did ministry? What is the way, Lord God, that you would have us to do it? So that, Lord, even... They, they were so caught up in your way that they were called the way. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, show us the way, Father, in this, in this generation. Your word says of David in Acts 13, 26, that David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation and died and was buried with his fathers. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to fulfill your purpose in this generation. You have a purpose in this generation. There's something specific that you're doing in this generation. And Lord, as you have caused us to be born and live where we live and to be who we are, Lord, you have uniquely positioned every one of us. Lord, you said in Acts 17 that from one man, God made every nation of men 
And he, he determined the places in which they should live and the times in which they should live. And so, Father, we could have been born anybody, anywhere, anytime in history. But, Lord, we are who we are. We are where we are in the time we are by divine design. So, God, I pray that you would arrest our hearts, Holy Spirit, that we might fulfill your purpose for our lives in this generation Father God, so that when we stand before you, we can hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for Marina. Bless her. Bless those that are listening, the audience, Father. And I pray that you would help us be disciples who make disciples, that we might see disciple-making movements happen in in, in native North America, but in North America as a whole. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You've been listening to Faith City Outreach with Marina Maria, founder of Global Gospel Worship Radio. Join us next time as Marina interviews local pastors and global leaders to share their testimonies and their ministries. All music is courtesy of zapsplat.com, and our thanks goes out to Four Winds Ministries in Arizona for partnering with Faith City Outreach. If you'd like to support this ministry, just go to fcoprogram.com and click the donate button. Thanks for listening. Have a blessed day.